Bonjour, I am Estelle, your host, and this is Wildlife Conservation Insights, the podcast dedicated to the connections between wildlife and human being. You want to know more about wildlife, about what's going on, why some species are getting endangered, what are the challenges our world is facing? You want to meet people that dedicate their life to save animal species? Specialists that want to understand better the new challenges animals and humans are facing? You want to be proactive and also participate in species conservation? This podcast is for you. Welcome to Wildlife Conservation Insights. This is episode three. My guest today is Megan Stolen, a dear friend and a research scientist at Hub SeaWorld Research Institute in Florida. Megan has a bachelor and master's degree in biology from the University of Central Florida and a certificate in wildlife forensic sciences and conservation from the University of Florida. She's an expert in marine mammal biology and stranding investigation. She also studies North American river otters, which includes citizen science approach as part of One Health. She works at the interface of ecology, conservation medicine, and forensics. Without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome my guest, Megan. Hey, hi, Megan. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you as my guest today. This is very wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's so precious. <laughs> so thank you very much. You're welcome. So since I am in France and you're in the U.S., tell me just a little bit about your weather today. How is it? Is it rainy, oh, sunny? It's actually cooler today. It was very strange. I guess it rained a little bit last night and then we woke up this morning and it is 53 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. So it's it's actually, that's pretty cold for me. So I needed an extra blanket this morning. So um, normally it's been about 80, 80, 85 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's cool today. I don't know why. Yeah. 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 And friends, um, actually today is not as beautiful as it was yesterday. Yesterday was super beautiful, blue sky, springtime, really. And today, back to windy, chilly times. So I guess we have uh, about the same weather today. <laughs> okay, can you tell me just a little bit about yourself, how you got to this job, and how did you get to this profession? Okay. What is your story? <laughs> oh, gosh, it is a story. So I... In high school, I didn't really have a, a goal to be in science at all. As a teenager, I was very interested in animals, but I didn't have good, I didn't really have good science teachers at all. So science to me was sort of something I had to do in high school to graduate, you know, and I was actually in theater. So I liked acting and being up on stage and I was very shy. So acting gave me sort of a outlet. Yeah. Um, so that's how I made all my friends. And, and I thought I would be an actress, which was crazy. Um, oh, that's a wonderful <laughs> idea. 
So I went to the local college and just took a bunch of classes because I thought I'll, I'll just take a bunch of classes and find something that interests me. So I didn't really take any science classes. I took a lot of psychology and sociology. I started getting really thoughtful about the world, about animals and, and people and environmental issues and just sort of woke up and realized that, you know, there were some things happening in the world that needed to be worked on. And so I really gravitated to sort of those sorts of ideas, either helping people or helping animals, helping the world. You wanted to be useful, really useful, make a difference. Yeah. Right. And science wasn't even on the table because I didn't think I was smart enough to be a scientist. You know, I knew I was, you know, not terrible, but I I just couldn't even imagine doing something like that, like being a veterinarian or a doctor or anything. So I was working at a bank. Um, I was a bank teller and had just gotten a two-year degree at, at the local college and was sort of taking a break and trying to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. And so when I was working at the bank, I actually was robbed at gunpoint. Um, me and, you know, the other tellers in the bank, um, two men came in with like pantyhose over their, (laughs) over their faces and guns and they, they robbed us and it was, it was a little bit violent. And I remember they told us, you know, I gave them money and they told us to get on the floor and not to look up. And so I was laying on the floor and, you know, crying and upset and thinking so that was your last day, maybe thinking your that last, was my last yeah. day. Oh, yep. Gosh. And so when, you know, they left and my friends, the other I was young, the other tellers came up and literally had to pick me up off the floor and tell me mm-hmm. everything was OK. I went home that night and I just thought about all of that. And I thought mm-hmm. if. I mean, it's going to sound kind of cheesy, and but I tell this story because I it was very powerful in my life. And I remember yeah. thinking, if I'm going to be hurt or killed or something, I don't want it to be, you know, laying on the floor of a bank. I want mm-hmm. it to be doing something that is important, you know, yeah. and I don't want to have regrets later that I didn't do what I wanted to do. So I literally sat there and thought, what do I like to do? What do yeah. I want to do? What do you do? want to do with your life? What do I want yeah. to do? And and even really basic, like, not even what I want to do, but what do I like to do? Mm-hmm. And because I didn't like working on a bank. And I thought, well, I like animals. I've always liked animals. We always had like a little zoo at my house. You know, my dad loved animals. He was in the Air Force. I yes. barely imagine you in a bank now that I have I know. with you outside I like in the field. Hair oh, and <laughs> clothes and makeup and high heels. And it was it was just very strange. And anyway, so we always had animals at my house. And I thought, well, I like animals. And so I'll do something with the animals. And then I remember thinking, who do I admire? Like, if I could be somebody, who would I want to be? And I immediately thought of Jane Goodall, yeah. Dr. Jane Goodall. And I know a lot of people think the same thing. And I thought, well, 
you know, I could be doing good. Yeah, definitely you can. Skinny little girl and she didn't have a, a big science background. And, you know, she just decided she was going to do it. And she went yeah. off to Africa and changed the world, you know. So I thought, well, if she, you know, if she can do that, maybe I could do something like that, you know. So I just said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a zoology degree. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a biologist and I'm going to move to Africa and I'm going to study chimpanzees or lizards or something. And so I went back to school (laughs) and I got my, my bachelor's degree. And at the time I was working again, I, you know, I struggled because I didn't have the background. So I had to work really, really, really hard. To, to get those basic classes done, you know, basic biology, basic chemistry, just really had a hard time. But I, I just knew I had to. Yeah, you, know, you did it because you were so motivated. Yeah, yeah, I was like, this is, you have to do this. You can't not do it. So you have to do it. So I, I was working, I was, I was getting through those classes and I heard that there was a sea turtle biologist at my school and he was, very famous. And I thought, well, I grew up watching sea turtles at the beach with my mom and dad. Um, we lived at the beach on the Air Force Station. And I thought, well, that would be a good summer job. I could do sea turtles. So I walked into his office and I said, I want to work on sea turtles with you. Is that okay? And he he kind of went, I don't know. You know, you didn't. <laughs> Maybe, you know, he kind of tests everybody out. Yeah. So he asked me, you know, why did I want to do it and all of that stuff. And my name, my last name was similar to somebody that he knew that did sea turtle research. And he said, are you related? And I said, no. And he's like, well, I like your name. So you can come work for me. (laughs) And I said, great. Okay. So, so he gave me the summer job and I worked on sea turtles with him and all the other grad students. And it was so wonderful because it was kind of like being in this little club. You know, we all lived together in this little house, this little dumpy house. And we got up, we stayed up all hours of the night to work on turtles. And then we mm-hmm. would get up in the morning and, and count the nests and the turtle eggs and then we would go out in the daytime and catch the turtles to find the little juvenile ones. And it was like something just washed over me. And I, and I thought this is like the best time of my life. Yeah. Um, I had no money. I had um, I was struggling to, to get through school, but I was having the best time of my life. And I met my friends that way. And I, you know, just realized like I this is what I want to do with my life. So beat up a little bit. And there was a job at SeaWorld and the turtle biologist that I was working for said, you know, would you be interested in this job? And I said, well, I don't really like marine mammals all that much, but yeah, it's a job and I need some money. So I went and um, applied for the job and I got the job. And then I met a couple of more people and my mentors and I started working on marine mammals for the stranding network and decided, oh, this, these are pretty cool. Marine mammals are pretty cool. And I was still doing turtles. And then I just fell in love with like sea life and the ocean. The ocean. Yeah. yeah and it really just like reconnected me to like nature. Yourself. And myself and my childhood yeah. and the things that I 
loved when I was little. And so then I switched essentially over to marine mammals. I got my master's degree. I finished my bachelor's and got my master's degree working on dolphins. And when I graduated um, with my master's degree, Hub SeaWorld, which is the nonprofit that I work for, um, hired me as a research assistant. And then it's 25 years later and I still work on them. And I still think about, you know, what would have happened to me if I hadn't, you know, chose this life. I'm, you know, everything in my life is really about that moment and switching what I thought I could be to just deciding this is what I was going to do. that's, that's that was hard. really a wake up event that happened. Like you really had that was probably very traumatic and made you think about something. Like you, yeah, you probably told yourself, okay, now I really want to do something that I will love. Yeah, yeah, and it really, you know, it changed my life in so many ways because I really think about not just the environment and the animals and stuff, but it made me more in touch with, you know, people and Mm -hmm. wanting to be, you know, close, close to the people that I would be missing if I wasn't here. And, you know, thinking about the importance of life, the value of life. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 So I didn't turn into Jink at all. Um, well, and I've never you're been not to far, Africa. you know, Megan, for knowing you, you're not far at all. Like <laughs> you dedicated your life to many aquatic animals. So that's crazy. That's wonderful. That's, uh, you found someone that inspired you and now you're able to inspire others. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Including veterinarians as me. So <laughs> I can you. tell you that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, now that you told me your story, what does your your daily life look like? I'm sure it's it's never the same. Mm-hmm. But for example, like last week, what uh, what did you have to do? Like how how things? But what happened during the day? So every day is different. So I primarily work on stranded marine mammals. So those are animals that come up on the beach that are either really sick or or in a lot of cases are, are dying. So the place that I work, we work mostly on those. We do a lot of necropsies on animals too. So after an animal dies and they wash up on the beach, we dissect them to find out why they died and what they're eating and that sort of thing. So our you know, what I do on a daily basis really is dictated by the animals, by what happens with them. So I try to plan things out, but it it doesn't work that way usually. So we might, I might be responding to a rescue or I might be doing a necropsy on an animal. I spend a lot of time in front of the computer, like most scientists, because we have to analyze our data after we collect it. I have to do some fundraising to support the work that that I do. So I have to meet with people and talk with people to try to get them to support us. Social media is part of our job now. So we try to, you know, get the word out about things. I've become more interested in forensic science and applying forensic um, techniques to some of the work that we do because we have animals that are 
you know, they're part of the human wildlife conflict. They're caught in fishing gear or sometimes they're intentionally hurt by humans. And so I started working on forensic science about two years ago. I started taking classes again. And this week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, I was actually at a forensic science workshop. Oh, wonderful. Um, So I spent three days learning about, you know, crimes against animals Mm -hmm. and then how to investigate the crime or the death of the animal. So it was really interesting. I learned a lot about forensic entomology, which is using the insects to figure out things about the animal and skeletal trauma analysis and all kinds of stuff. So this week was really invigorating for me because it gave me a lot of new information. And whenever I feel sort of like stuck or, you know, like I don't feel like I'm moving somewhere or doing something, I like to take a class or buy a new book and read it and it's yeah, sort of never stop learning. Jump. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it gets you excited again. And you exactly. And so it's kind of like taking when you don't feel good, you take some medicine and it makes you feel better. And that's how I feel mentally. If I feel yeah. like I'm getting stuck, yeah. I read a book or I take a class and it's like, okay, now I'm ready yeah. to do this new thing. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. You stimulate your brain to be able to learn new things and to get excited and motivated to go back. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm very motivated this week. That's be- <laughs> ah, I love it, and I can feel your enthusiasm. This is great. Yeah. Wow, this is uh, wow, super super good. Can you tell me? I think also you work with odor. Do you still work with odor? I do. Yeah. And that's what actually got me interested in forensics because I started a program to look at river otters. Here in the United States, we have two species of otters. We have sea otters, but we also have North American river otters, which are in Canada, the United States, and sort of Central America. I think they also have them. And so I started working on otters because we have them in our local community and nobody was working on them. And an easy, sort of cheap, um, inexpensive way to study things is, is to not always to catch a live animal. It's dangerous. It's, you know, hard on the animal and that sort of thing. So I actually pick up otters that were hit by cars on the road. And I do the necropsies on those. And of course, there's a lot of trauma involved with those animals. And so I became interested in forensics for that reason. We also have a citizen science program. So people in the community go online and when they see an otter and they can report the otter sighting and tell me where they saw it and what it was doing and that sort of thing. And so we map out where the river otters are in the community. And then I try to put that together with the vehicle strike otters. And the idea is to collect samples from them to look at their diseases and their age and their diet, just like we do with a a normal marine mammal. And then also to put that together with the live sighting information so that we can see where the otters are, where they're being hit by cars, and hopefully to to influence some conservation measures for them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the goal of all of this and um especially in forensic medicine. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal is to get reports to be able then to influence politics to yep. take measures, right? So 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you um, tell us a little bit more about your role as I would say you interact a lot with people during also during necropsy. So when there is, for example, a stranding, not only you go on site and respond in order to help the animal, but you also help coordinating teams and also you help with the public, you know, and there are a lot of people around the animals. You are the one that, or one of the people, but I remember you as vi being like extremely skilled. Uh, I really loved uh, how you, yeah, I really appreciated and loved how well you delivered the message to people all around the animals. You explained to them what happened. And so can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? So Yeah, it's it's a very difficult situation, as, as you know. So we met, um, you and I met here in Florida when you came to to euthanize one of the animals that one of the mm -hmm. whales that washed up on the beach because the animal was in very bad condition, and it, yeah. it's the you know job of the veterinarian to assess the animal and then to relieve its suffering. So. I admire you because you did a fantastic job. Thank you again. <laughs> it's so much pressure and you were just amazing. And I had never met you before. So I feel, <laughs> I felt like, okay, who is this person? And does she know what she's doing? And how, how is this going to go? And from the moment you came, it was just like this total calm thing you know and yeah. so yeah but was... I think you know emotionally you also helped me out a lot because you were also extremely calm and I feel like as soon as we saw each other you know I was like okay, okay I can totally focus on my job do what I have to do and I know that Megan is going to take care of everything else <laughs> That's yeah. exactly the feeling I had That's you know how I felt I was like yeah. okay she knows what she's doing She is obviously brilliant and smart and she knows exactly what she's doing. And so I was like, okay, let's go. And as you said, my job then becomes to make it safe for you and the animal to get that hard thing done mm -hmm. and then to make sure that everybody else is safe around us and then to really explain what's happening and You know, in days gone by, I don't think that stranding network members always did that because it is a hard discussion to have with the public yeah. that this animal is, is you know, is not going to make it and they want you to save the animal. Exactly. And so what what I do at that point is just make sure that I'm giving them the best information in the way that they can understand so that they'll understand what what we're supposed to do and what the animal is is feeling at that moment. And so we do spend quite a lot of time when we know that we're not going to be able to rescue the animal. We spend time to talk to the public and explain to them in a way that they can understand what is about to happen and how things are going to feel for the animal. Some people don't want to stay for the hard part. And I tell them, you know, this is the point where you can say your goodbyes to the animal and you can walk away and know that, you know, we're going to 
relieve its suffering and do a good job. And same thing with the rescue. You know, I tell them, okay, we're going to try to rescue it, but it may not go well, or we have to see how they do because they don't always make it in the rehab situation. So we spend a lot of time talking to them and then most of the people understand and they appreciate it. I always relate it to like a a dog or a cat, you know, because they've all been there if they have animals that they have to make hard decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, so my purpose isn't to make them sad. My purpose is to say, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to relieve the suffering of this animal. But, you know, the silver lining is that we don't just forget about the animal at that point. We, Mm -hmm. we take the animal to a laboratory. We, you know, we study them, we find out why they died and then we preserve their samples, you know, forever so that we can use that one animal to save others. And so we spend a lot of time talking about what samples we're going to take and what that will tell us about the population. We also Mm -hmm. talk about even what's the status of that species? Are they endangered? Are they not endangered? You know, so, and then I, you know, I give them pamphlets sometimes so that they can take it home or I, you know, if they're standing there with their phone, I'll type in the, you know, the name of the animals so that they can go and and look at them later. And I think it's just a, a great opportunity for people who will never see a whale or never see a dolphin. Yeah, um, exactly. To mm-hmm. to see one and to appreciate them. And so, yeah, public education is a big part of what we do, not just on site, but then, you know, we get, we go to elementary schools and high schools and talk to people that way and try to, you know, tell them, you know, what we do and why we think it's important and, and that sort of things. So, you were telling me about the importance of necropsy uh, and gathering data because it's important for the basically the, the conservation of the species, right? Right. Yeah. So we we know that what we're doing is going to be helpful, but we have to pass along that data and that information to the general public too, because it's really not us that can create that much change in the world. It's really everybody, you know, so you and I on the beach are doing a good thing for the animal and, you know, we collect the data and that sort of thing, but it's all those people around us that are going to take what they've seen and what we've told them and make a bigger difference in the world. So without explaining the science to the rest of the world, you know, science doesn't really, you know, do anything as far as conservation goes. So taking those opportunities when you can find them to transfer, you know, the information to the the public is really important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Then, Then they understand better what is going on and they can actually act at an individual as well as collective level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So you told me previously that um, Jen Goodall was the one that initially inspired you. Is it still the case? Is it still the person that uh, inspired you the most? I think so. Yeah. And and it's also on your, you know, on your daily life, daily work day, uh, when sometimes you feel a little down, like who do you have in mind that basically you're like, okay, well, let's go back, you know. Yeah, I think a lot about one of my mentors 
His name is Nelly Abajos, and he was on my graduate committee when I was a master's student. He, he is the one that taught me how to conduct a necropsy, and he and I became very good friends. He worked with me for several years, and then he, he went on to, to do bigger and better things, and he passed away at a, a young age. He was 50 when he, when he died of cancer. And it really devastated me because he was my my mentor and my friend. And I spent, you know, when something would go wrong or I had a question or something, I could I could call him or or bounce it off him. So even now, I sort of when I get in a tough spot or I try to figure out how I'm going to get something done, I I always think, okay, what would what would he do or what would he ask me or what would he say to me? And so I, I. I think he still gives me a lot of inspiration and just somebody to to think about that that I can go back to when I'm having a hard time figuring something out. I just think, okay, what would what would he do at this moment? You know, so I wish he was still here, obviously, but I still kind of talk to him in my brain a little bit. And so he's still with you. yeah, Yeah, yeah. And I see I see him in a lot of places because. He collected so many samples, um, and so I still see his, you know, handwriting on samples in places um, where, you know, I'm looking for a sample, or I still have the emails that he wrote to me and and that sort of thing. So I still, you know, I'm still surrounded by him and by what he taught me, most especially what he taught me, and so I, I think about him a lot. I, I admire a lot of people, you know, but he's he's one that, you know, I actually, you know, I consider him a brilliant scientist and I got to meet him and work with him. And so I I feel very fortunate to, to have those opportunities, too. But I, you know, I have a lot of people in my life that I've met like you <laughs> and, you know, stranding personnel all over the country. You know, we're kind of like one big family and we you know, talk to each other and try to help each other figure things out, not just scientifically, but, you know, personally, sometimes we just get overwhelmed. And so we talk to somebody that's, you know, been through what we've been through. It's a little bit of a hard job, as you know, because there's a lot it of... It is, yeah. You see a lot of things that can be very easily devastating, like people yeah. barely realize, but that's true. Sometimes you're facing... I don't know, just talking about basic trauma, but not only, there are some things that you can actually witness that you could never imagine someone or something could actually do to the animal. And when you see that, yeah, it twists your gut a little bit, right? So yeah, it can be tough, yeah. But surrounding yourself with other people that have been through that is really important. And that goes for life in general. You know, it doesn't matter what your job is, but if you can find your, you know, your, your people, find your tribe, as we like to say, if you can find your tribe, they may not even be like physically close to you, but I have a lot of friends that I, I never see, but I reach out to them on social media and we talk that way, or we talk on the phone and it, it really helps. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It gives you energy, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. Yeah. Then okay. you have good energy and you can actually do the good thing, the right thing with plenty of motivation. Yeah. 
yeah. And you pass on energy as well. That's something that I, yeah, definitely I have found myself. So I can definitely what, know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's great. Well, we are close to the, the conclusion of this podcast. I would like to know if you had a message to deliver to the next generation of young people, what would it be? Like your kids or even a little bit older? What, what would you say to them? There's a couple of things I would say. From a professional standpoint, I would say, you know, try to find what you love to do and, and try to try to do that. And I'm a good example of somebody who didn't know what I wanted to do and really wasn't prepared or had the skills to, to do the thing that I finally decided I wanted to do. But if you, if you can surround yourself with helpful people and find the strength in yourself and overcome some of those challenges, then, you know, I, I think it's possible. Um, a lot of younger people don't have the same opportunities that I have. They live in places that, you know, make it difficult or they don't have the family connection mm -hmm. that allows them to do everything that they want to do. But I think it, it makes it much more difficult. But there, if you can ask for help, that's probably the biggest thing I would say to young people is ask for help when you need it. You don't have to, to do everything by yourself. There are people that want to help you. And then that translates into people that, you know, may be listening to this podcast that, you know, really do want to change the world. And yeah. it sounds, sounds like a cliche, but it really is important because if you think about some of the great inventions or some of the, you know, discoveries in medicine, those are all done by, by people, you know, it's not robots. It, it's all done by people. It's somebody yes. having a great idea and deciding that they're going to do it and figuring out ways to get it done. And so the challenges that we have in conservation and in animal conservation, um, wildlife conservation, those are all things that we as a species can, can rise to. Um, yeah. And so, but we have to do it collectively and we have to think of new ways to do it and try not to get too discouraged. I know there's a lot of like bad stuff going on in the world. And I have a, you know, my daughter is always, she's sort of the glass half empty kind of person. She's like, well, mom, I don't know how this is going to get fixed or that's going to get fixed. And I just say, you know, we can do it if we put our mind to it. And, and it doesn't have to be that that there's no hope. And that's why I love Jane Goodall because, you know, she still to this day has hope for. Yes, for, there is always hope. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you just have to remind yourself of, of the success stories. And there are plenty of success stories dealing with animals and conservation. And so you just have to find those, those happy stories and remind yourself that, that those things are possible. Yeah. Thinking positively. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had like a, a last word to say to young people that would like to help out, what would you tell them? <laughs> I would say find your passion and realize that there is a place for everybody in conservation. So you don't have to be a biologist. You don't have to be a veterinarian. You can make 
you know, a positive impact on the world in your own way. You know, we need people that have a bunch of different skills and we need people that can help the other people that are out there doing things. So people like me, veterinarians, conservationists, they need support help too. So I try to tell people like whatever it is that you're doing is, is important and you can do great things with the skills that you have. And so you just have to find that organization or group of people working toward a, a similar goal and connect yourself with those people. And, and that's the way to, to, I think, influence change and be positive, um, mm-hmm. be a positive source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so, so much, Megan, for, yeah. uh, for everything. I am re-energized like right now, you know, <laughs> motivated, enthusiastic. I, okay, here you go. I want to change the world with you. Let's do it. I love talking to you because you are always <laughs> so positive <laughs> yeah because you know it's a it's a matter of um of um positive energy yeah exactly so yeah. thank you so so much megan you're welcome bye so bye talk to you thank you yes thanks bye-bye bye thanks for listening to wildlife conservation insights podcast You can find more about myself and the show, including our guests, on estelvet.com. If you like it, share it. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I will select a question or a review from you and will present it to the next podcast. Go to estelvet.com for further information and articles to go deeper into each episode. Bye-bye!